0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Armchair Expert. I'm Dan Shepard. I'm joined by Monica Monsoon.
1: Hi there.
0: So this episode was supposed to come out on Monday. Yes, it was. Uh, We kicked it down the road a little bit. We did. Uh, But here we are. Here we are. It's incumbent upon us to point out that this was recorded before the many George Floyd protests and everything that's happening. So please don't interpret Alanis or our... Lack of bringing it up as a lack of concern or silence, yes.
1: Yeah, and we don't address it in the fact check either. This episode has nothing to do with what is currently happening.
0: And there'll be a few of these. We have a few in the can. So, with all that said, Alanis Morissette, you know, she's a seven-time Grammy winner. Jagged Little Pill, billions of copies sold. And we get to talk to her about her new album and all the incredibly detailed and diligent work she does for mental health. So please enjoy Miss Alanis Morissette. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing.
1: I knew you did that.
0: (laughs) No, I did not do that. I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted.
1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash?
0: Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply we are supported by squarespace guys we have a squarespace website that it's just gorgeous that wabi-wabi you uh you built that yourself using all the templates yeah i sure did yeah easy peasy so easy Head to squarespace.com for a free trial and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with the code DAX. He's an expert. He's an, expert. He's
1: an expert. This is Sola. Hi. Hi. <laughs> uh,
0: Bye. bye i love you i love you wait who is that my husband that's your husband what'd you call him though soy so lie. soy sauce <laughs> oh
1: the classic pet <laughs> name
2: everybody knows now
0: <laughs> i call him soul 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 i like that that's how long has nice. that been you guys have been together what like 11 years something
2: yeah 10
0: you we're approaching 13 wow if we make it in isolation, we'll see.
2: Yeah, you know, a lot of divorce is happening. Right now. <laughs> you know what? Because th- those of us who want to exit, those of us who are flighters, mm-hmm. we can't fly. So yeah. what are you going to do? Go into the next room and brood, I guess, for a while. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not funny.
0: Oh, no, I had a, I had a good few days where I was like, um, okay, where am I going? I'm definitely moving out of this house. Okay, uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Because I also have PPD right now, postpartum activity, I call it. So okay. I just kind of announce lovingly as best as possible when I go into a room. I'm cranky mom right now or i um,
0: You set everyone's mom. expectations appropriately. Yeah, right. I, I like to. that. I like yeah. that. By the way, one of the biggest breakthroughs in my wife and I's relationship was the therapist said, look, Dax is an ex-addict. He's a scumbag. He always thinks he's in trouble. You have depression. You're prone to get quiet. When you're quiet, he thinks he's in trouble. He doesn't deserve to be in trouble. He's like, yeah. all you got to do to stop this cycle is just tell him, hey, This has nothing to do with you. I just have depression. And from literally, that's all it took for me. At least, I mean, there are other issues, of course, we're married, but but that was a huge one. Just this cycle of her being quiet, me thinking I'm in trouble, then me thinking of something, then being mad at her because I'm in trouble and I didn't do anything. You know,
2: the theory is that if you're wounded in the same ways and you're committed and there's intimacy, there's going to be healing. But if there's no commitment or there's no intimacy, there's no healing. Ah. So now we're in the hot kitchen painted right into the corner. And I guess that's when, for us too, we've had some major breakthroughs during this time. It's it's basically not being able to get out of the hot kitchen.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is the ultimate test of a commitment.
2: For me, there's these three phases. So the first phase is infatuation. You're all over each other. You can't get enough. Second phase is you realize this is the relationship of your nightmares.
0: (laughs) And you're fighting all the time.
2: And I think that's when most people break up.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then in
2: theory, the third phase is when you actually participate and help each other out.
0: Yeah, but it is truly hard to help your partner out because, well, I'll just speak for myself. They stop becoming a human. Like I have to actively stare at my wife and go, oh, this is a person. She's a little girl that grew up Mm -hmm. and she has needs and desires, but we're in this business relationship where we're raising two kids. And it's really easy to just recognize, oh, she handles X, Y, and Z. I handle A, B, and C. This is all working. And man, I got to regularly go, oh, she has needs just like I do. She
2: exists. (laughs)
0: Yeah. She's a real person other than the mother of my children and my wife.
2: Right. And how how old are your kids?
0: They are five and seven.
2: Oh, yeah. So we're all still in the trenches. My father said, you know, don't worry about it. Just the first 60 years are the hardest. (laughs) So
0: so basically, we we cut
2: each other slack for the, oh, my God, we're all overwhelmed, but
0: When I read about you today and I looked at the order of your children, it gave me enormous anxiety because you had your second one six years after the first because we have a five and a half year old and it's now manageable. You know, she can actually get cereal for herself and stuff. The notion of a newborn in my house right now is terrifying, even though I loved the experience of it. Just the thought of it is terrifying. So how did you end up doing it in that order?
2: Well, not all of it was the ideal situation. I had a bunch of miscarriages, mm. had a molar pregnancy. Mm. We were chasing and just showing up and then surprises and then devastations and,
0: you know, wow, yeah.
2: all of it. But I mean, I do trust, I have this trust pilot light thing that keeps cooking along. Even when there's a torrential downpour, it's still flickering of hope and faith and, and vision for for something to work out, whatever it
0: is. Are you an optimist by nature or are you a pessimist?
2: I'm a cynical optimist. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That sounds like a
1: smart optimist. Well, thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm,
2: I'm I'm an optimist who will get depressed and cry, but at the end of the day, there's still that little light, that little star of Bethlehem keeps dangling over there. You know, one of the theories is that in relationships, conflict is growth trying to happen. Mm. But I think the message we're sent in movies and songs and everything is that if we're fighting, we should break up.
0: Yeah, we're, yeah. Whereas
2: I, I got dumped so many times because we'd start to fight and I would be thinking, you know, this is it. We're, we're getting oh, in.
0: Oh, we're growing. Uh-huh.
2: And they would just be like, yeah, I liked it when I was just happy with you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> so I, yeah your loud chewing was cute. And now all of a sudden I see it for what I'm it like- is, <laughs> very loud chewing.
2: <laughs> on my nerves. Well, Harville Hendricks and, and Helen La Hunt, who created the whole Imago model, they say that most couples don't really get into feeling really, really safe if there's some level of trauma. And let's be honest, there's a level of trauma in 98%. Who are these two percent of people that were not traumatized, by the way? I want to talk about. Yeah. But yeah, they're saying that you, you know, it takes up to on average, seven to eight years before couples start to really kind of get into the good stuff, so to speak.
0: Wow. We had Nadine burke Harris on, who's the California Surgeon General, and we were talking yeah. about childhood trauma. It's out of 10, right? And I think I was a seven, as I recall. And then, like all of my friends from home, I'm like, listen to this episode we did. I want your number. I didn't cohort with anyone under seven. Like we yeah. all found each other, you know?
2: Yeah, well, we're like magnets. I think where we are intellectually, where we are sometimes emotionally, and where we are with our level or degree of trauma or woundedness is like a magnet.
0: Yeah, you know, really close friend of mine is getting sober and we've been kind of doing this stuff together and we start to talk about friendships and stuff. And, and this hadn't occurred to me until just talking to him about this, but this is a clue. Like I would have defined one of the most important characteristics of friendship to be loyalty. And it was identical to my friend who was newly sober. And, and if he started looking at all of his friendship connections right now, loyalty is the number one thing. Mm. And I was like, you know, when I think about it, the longer I've been sober loyalty's not a very big deal to me anymore like I don't need someone to be loyal to me and I think it's very related to at the time I felt like such a piece of shit and my secrets were so dark that I needed to know you'd be there despite what a scumbag I am mm. and now that I'm not really that big of a scumbag like I'd rather have someone who's funny than loyal I'd rather have someone who's generous than loyal is
2: that, is that true though
0: Yes, I think it's diminished, because people hang out with people, that they they don't like anything about them other than that they're very loyal. I don't know that that's the greatest basis for a friendship is that that's the number one reason to like someone.
2: And there's not gonna be enough compatibility, but I think being in a friendship where where you're on eggshells and you don't feel safe, that's not awesome. That's not gonna be a friendship.
0: The bottom line of the loyalty conversation was like, I need a friend that when the shit hits the fan, they're there. Well, guess what? When the shit's not hitting the fan anymore, that's right. just not the most important part of the friendship. Like for me, the shit used to hit the fan a lot. I had to call people and be like fucking get over here right now. You know, I'm down. But, I'm down. But, but, yeah. Uh, yes, man man yes. down.
2: Yes. <laughs> yes. Let's not call that loyalty then. This might be a semantics thing, but it probably let's not call is. that loyalty. Let's just call that straight up, maybe enabling or could have been <laughs> or all those fun words. But, yeah loyalty at, at, a, at a huge cost is not really loyalty. there's just, there's something else going on there. Loyal oh, just me. means hey man, I gotta know you and we're both on our deathbeds at 122 and and if you need my help, I'll be right there holding yeah you. to me that's loyal.
0: Yeah, and I'll show up to move your furniture with you, and if you ever have a problem, you can call me, but I'm not going to help you get rid of a body. Like, those days are over. That's kind of my point. I definitely (laughs) don't think
2: that's what loyalty. You're so over that right now. Uh, No, that's not loyalty. That's that's criminality.
0: (laughs) So both parents were teachers. Your dad was a principal, yeah?
2: Yep, still was up until a few years ago.
0: And then Catholic school the whole ride? Mm -hmm. Just from who I am, looking at that environment... It would have made me a dualistic really quick. Like I would have just felt not worthy of that kind of like teacher, parents, Catholic school. I just feel like there would have been a side of me that didn't feel accepted by those environments.
2: Do you mean like the bar was set high and there
1: was perfectionism and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I would guess perfectionism. Yeah.
1: Expectations of you probably. Yeah, those were all there.
0: And then maybe like some restrictive morality.
2: Yeah, the thing about Catholicism too is... For me, having gotten out, I didn't want to throw the God baby out with the bathwater, you know, like so many beautiful things within Catholicism and then so many horrifying things that were so separatist and so divisive and ouch. So what I did is I stepped back and I just kind of, Houston Smith just researched everything I possibly could about as many religions as I could. And I'm quarter Jewish, didn't know that, only found that out about 10 years ago. There's a thread of continuity through every religion that I've ever read about. So much of it speaks about experiencing some version of oneness. They all have a different word for it, which is a real challenge for some of us in the West. The challenge of what do we do in the midst of uncertainty? Because as humans, my ego wants to concretize and get, you know, I know it's happening next week. I know, you know, control, control. I'm, I've been in recovery for various whack-a-mole things for years too. And it's just like, we want to afford ourselves some relief or some, out-breath. And so much of what we're chasing in all these addictions is some sense of relief. I've been really happy about this trend lately, being a lot more merciful with addictions and and basically seeing how much we're just reaching out for some out-breath.
0: Now, when I think of a high school principal, of course, I go to my high school principal and the other principals I was aware of in my district. And to me, it seems like it's such a crazy dynamic that when you're the principal or a superintendent, there has to be this pressure that your children are the example that you're trying to set in the school. Yes. Unless you like, you're some crazy evolved person. I don't know how that wouldn't be in the mix.
2: Well, we all have our survival strategies too. And, and the one that gets the most kind of overt acting out attention is the rebellion or the scapegoat or the fuck you or, but for me, because I love education. So thankfully I was getting straight A's in school. Okay but one of the survival strategies for for so many of us is also to just try to be the best kid and get really depressed about the B minus. And, you know, so I actually have a really soft spot for those who people say, Oh, you never have to worry about her or him. They're fine. They're so responsible. You know, those are the ones that I'm like, Oh God, (laughs) they're gonna blow (laughs) because if you think of it in terms of energy though the ones who are maybe more rebellious and act out they're moving the energy they're pro they're processing
0: it in some way i guess yes somehow
2: getting out of their body but the ones who are kind of keeping everything bound and imploding i was an imploder for so long so people would be like wow you know your songs are so intense and they're fire and they're angry and then we meet you you know, you're kind of a people pleaser and you're, uh you know, and I would just be like, well, yeah, the thing about writing for me is that I can go to a studio, write everything I want, no censorship, put it out. And it was almost like a circuitous route to get the energy moving. But over a period of years found that it was very cathartic to write and perform, but it wasn't healing. Mm. Because I would sing the same songs over and over about specific people and had those people walked into the room, I still would have, freaked out. So, so I've come to learn that there were, I actually have to speak to human beings and I can't, I can't run away and just write about it or take a photo about it and call it a day.
0: Yeah. Well, funny enough, we were, we were interviewing Ed Helms. He's very like he's a Southern boy and he, he dresses nice for an interview. Yet the instrument he plays is a banjo, which by his own admission is like the most obnoxious instrument you can play in a circle yes. of, you know, and then his <laughs> yeah. characters are obnoxious. And it's like, isn't it? interesting how like in a how, way that how it gets out like,
2: like steve martin like that instrument too is a rebellious instrument mm. yes yes you know, it's almost like an obtuse it's a fuck you instrument yeah,
0: yeah. and it doesn't even have the same like the strings old. aren't done in the way that all the other stringed instruments are like it's yes. it's a fuck
2: you instrument. in a genre <laughs> that's a fuck you genre in a, in a beautiful way <laughs>
0: Yeah, and a bluegrass, the ultimate yes. fuck you in the middle and of the, a fuck you. The
2: winner of female vocalist <laughs> in the fuck you
0: genre of music goes to, <laughs> oh my God. Do you and your twin have similar personalities or were you guys like opposite sides of a coin?
2: Depends. In some ways, we'll finish each other's sentences. We used to go camping a lot and uh, we were on this island camping with a bunch of our friends one night, sitting around the fire and he was saying things to me and I responded and I said, yeah, absolutely, I agree. And they all turned to me and they said, Agree with what? Because no one had been speaking, but my brother and I had just been like,
0: Ah, Oh, chatting. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yes, we have that. And then we're also really different. I mean, we're fraternal. So two different eggs. Sure. Which is, you know, still twins because you're in the womb together. But
0: you've certainly been asked if your brother's your identical twin, right? Over the years.
2: Oh, yeah. And I'm like, well, That would require an anatomy a little different.
0: So uh, milk, milk, lemonade, around the corner. So anyways. (laughs) I was going to say. (laughs) But, you know, as a kid, you started really quickly pursuing this, or what I would say, a very, very young age, right? You start playing piano at like six, and then before long, you're recording your first album at like, I don't know, 13?
2: Yeah, I was 10, actually. I wrote a song and sent it to a family friend and he was such a sweetie. He passed away, unfortunately, but he heard the song and he recorded it at his farm. And then when I went to visit, he surprised me by saying, hey, here's your track.
0: Oh my God.
2: Yeah, and of course my brothers, as they're wont to do, told me many, many, many times that I couldn't sing to save my life, so I said, well, who's gonna sing it? You know, I could, I'll write it, but who's gonna sing it? And he said, come on, yeah, you have a pretty voice. That's when I wrote it, and and back, back in the day, when I was young, um, <laughs> they wouldn't sign young people. Now they'll sign you if you're an embryo. They'll, sure. You know, back then they wouldn't, so I started a record company with my friend, and I put a record out when I was 11, and then I had a couple songs out, of records in Canada too, so. Like, being expressed in any way, and it's been slightly torturous because it's so multitudinous sometimes, or I have to rein it in. Like, work addiction is actually my number one, and, and one of the signs of work addiction is 110,000% and then boom, dead. Really? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, one of the signs of work addiction is also procrastination because we know how much of a toll it takes on our body that uh. we anticipate it. And that's when my laziness is triggered, but it's really fear. Ah. Yeah,
0: interesting. You know, ah.
2: when you're in your 1000% mode, when you, you know, I, I'm a little manic actually when I'm, when I'm in inspired. Okay, you got painting and photos and food and design and decorating and producing and directing and editing. And sometimes I just, I get paralyzed.
0: Do you ever try to uh, unravel what part is like being an artist and being creative and then what part is ego?
2: Yeah, I mean, ego gets me to show up. Ego made it so I put lip balm on. But also, you know, it's really helped me because it's been confusing to, you know, concretize and control it all. But I love the multiple intelligence theory. So Har- Howard Gardner, I am, I begged him to do my podcast a few years ago, and he said no. And I continued to beg. I said, "Please, <laughs> our generation needs you." So he, he he came on, and we talked about the idea of there being multiple intelligences. So it takes the oh that person's smart or that person's dumb completely out of the equation. Okay. I mean, it's uh, physical uh, intelligence, musical intelligence, math, logic intelligence, naturalist intelligence is a is another one. Gardening. I like that. Spatial intelligence. So, you know, if someone's really great at parkour, but maybe they're challenged with spelling or grammar and linguistic intelligence, you can no longer say, oh, that person's really smart. For me in our family, we have to qualify it now. So if someone says, wow, that person's a genius, I'll go, a genius how? Right. And Howard, bless him, I was audacious enough to say, can I add some? He said, yeah. And I, you know what, what I loved adding is the comedic intelligence, because I really think that that is a muscle and a talent that I think you can cultivate it, but it's either in your bones or it's not.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. And yes, I've known a lot of comedians that were just brilliant comedians that don't know what year America was founded, but clearly right. They're, right. they're so. You can't be, quote, dumb and, and be making observations that everyone no. thought no one said. It's just, it's not right. possible.
1: Just came up because we were watching the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, mm. the Bulls documentary. Dennis Rodman was talking about you know, rebounding. rebounding and how he can see like where the ball hits someone's yes. hand and how it right. And I was like, Brilliant. Oh my God, that is a genius. That's yeah. Like, that's spatial
2: intelligence yes. and, and physical intelligence. And
1: probably, you know, and then there's the emotional
2: intelligence In dancers, you know, I watch dancers and I'm just like, I don't care if they have any other intelligences. This is just such a miracle offering.
0: Yeah. It's a bummer that so few of them uh, can be monetized, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, truthfully like if you have a kid and you're worried about them supporting themselves and you're like this kid's a physical genius i don't know what he's gonna do with it
2: But well i mean yeah, first of all they can all be monetized yeah <laughs> spoken like a a true stage mom we can monetize it <laughs> there's all kinds of different gifts that we have and, and i love that it's you know the potential for this is that there's no such thing as a smart or a stupid person
0: yeah yeah now, at the age of 13, and when you were pursuing this, if you had to assign percentages, like what what percentage do you think was intrinsically motivated and what was extrinsically motivated in your pursuit of of music?
2: I definitely had major invisibility issues. But the irony for me was that I had that ham thing, but then I also had the don't look at me.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So they were always fighting. But in terms of was it ego or was it just like destined... It's um, it says existential imperative for me to feel expressed when I'm not expressed in any way. I feel super depressed. But then, of course, my ego had been sold the same bill of goods I think that the whole planet is around fame, is that the second you're famous, you're going to be loved. And-
0: yeah. Well, most importantly, you're going to look in the mirror and love who you see. <laughs>
2: yes. If they do, then I will. Yeah, and, yeah. But the subtle piece here, because there's this whole autonomous movement where people say... You got to love yourself first, or you got to do your individual work. And, and yes and no. I or one can't actually see. There's so many blind spots that I have that unless I'm interacting and, and it's brought to light, there's no way for me to grow. And I think it's both. I think we have to rely on each other, have to rely on relationships. And if I'm only doing that, then I'm a full-blown you know, codependent love addict. So the alone sort of autonomous inner work individually, I think, is equally important.
0: Yeah, well, I think anytime you're talking about humans and you're offering a binary option, I think you're, you're already we're dead. There, yeah, there's, there's no way. Now, yeah. back to when you were young and performing, what percentage of it was just this intrinsic joy of making music? And, and how much of it was in search of validation and, and praise? <sighs> yeah. Maybe it's a silly question. Maybe no, I, I think
2: it's a really great question. The word praise got me because it was more the kind of an attachment thing. Fame is interesting because it basically says any attachment humans you have. In attachment, what do we get? We get skin on skin, we have eyes looking at us, we have people contacting us, we have attunement to need immediately. So I feel like fame is like, here, have all your attachment needs met. But then as we all know, once you get in, it just exacerbates what's there already. So if I'm scared of something, it's just gonna explode into terror. So I'm not answering your question though. Probably 50, I don't even know, because I- Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's why I say, I, to, to put a number on it was probably a bad question.
2: But both, both were happening. And you know when that that kind of came to a grinding halt was um, after Jagged Little Pill for the, the tour we did for that, I came home and I remember thinking, whoa, this is not what I anticipated. So much beauty, of course, but also a lot of suffering and disillusionment was going on. So then I then I thought, now why do I keep going? Yeah, I remember I was dating. I was dating someone who was with me backstage after I got off stage. There were, you know, a large amount of people in the audience. My ego wants to say there were forty five thousand people, but um-
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so so I come backstage after the show, and I go, you know, he was my boyfriend at the time. So I was like, Aren't
0: was I like- great? <laughs> you got yeah. it.
2: And he got so upset. He said. You just had 45,000 people screaming your name, so excited. And yet you come back here and you need more feedback from me. And I was like, oh, you don't understand. Like, I love everyone in the audience, but I don't know them. I'm not intimate. You're the one whose opinion matters to me.
0: Can I go a step further too? Yeah, yeah please. Because we just really unpacked this at length. We did a live show in Detroit where I'm from. And all these people that that I knew from childhood came. And I told Monica, it was the, the only show that was like almost impossible for me to do. Because I was like oh, no, no, I've adopted this kind of persona. Like, I have a professional...
1: Exterior.
0: Exterior that these people are going to see through. Like, I can buy into it myself in uh, Minnesota when we go there because there's no one there that knows that I'm not that person. And then Monica goes, oh, yeah, I guess I would be freaked out to go to Georgia and do a live show because, yeah, it's... Because they're onto
2: you. Is that what you mean? Yeah,
0: Yeah, so to your story, those people that just saw you on stage, they saw the version of you that you've created... And then the guy backstage is hopefully the person who knows the real you. And that's what you want to be validated for is the kid inside of you, right? Not the professional on stage.
2: Or how about both? I mean, for me, yeah, uh, yeah. it's just the language of real or false presentational part. I just think these are all parts. So- I agree. I didn't see the difference between Minnesota and Detroit show for you. <laughs> but yeah. the truth is, is you're showing, and I would say generously, as artists we're we're showing parts of ourselves and sometimes we're showing three parts and sometimes we're showing 150 parts it just you know in terms of being in the audience part of the social activism i think that anyone in the public eye just lands into without even knowing certainly i wasn't warned is that you're this screen upon which people just project their stuff onto, right? Oh, so I remind you of your ex-girlfriends, okay? Or oh, I remind you of a mom that abandoned you, or oh, <laughs> you don't like female bosses, okay? I got that. We I mean, yeah. some of it. I'm not saying,
0: <laughs>
2: and and not all of it's projection, obviously. You know,
0: but therein lies the beauty of choosing what you're gonna put out because you get to kind of pick what you're gonna. Relate to, or what's the thing people are going to identify with? So the people that are attracted to your music, you know, you you kind of get to pick, I guess, which is the really neat thing about it. Who you're going to attract, you know, you kind of, Uh, in some level, you know, you're kind of, you're building a community, and the thing that attracts that community to you is ultimately in your hands.
1: I
2: think you're giving me a little too much credit because I'm just like, I don't have any fucking idea who's listening to me until (laughs) I step out, and then I. But I do think that resonance is real. So, you know, I look out in the audience sometimes and I'm just like, wow, there's a room full of very sensitive, very thoughtful, you know, and I'm just like, okay, so I'm speaking their language, but I don't, have you been able to do that? I haven't been able to go, I'm going to write a record for these people. I I always just think I have people ask me, what's it, what's this new record about? I never know until it's finished. And then I know about it year or two after any record comes out, I'll get a glimpse of objectivity on it.
0: No, Uh, you're right. It's not calculated, but you do become aware of it. So for us, it's we take questions at the end and we start realizing this pattern that most of the people asking questions are kind of admitting to something that's hugely vulnerable and that someone wouldn't normally admit out loud. Mm -hmm. And then we go, oh, goddamn, that's awesome. That's the thing they like. Like, cause they're, they're letting us yeah. know like, oh yeah, man, I'm fucked up and flawed too. And I'm like, boy, I'm so grateful that that's the thing that brought us all together. But you're right. I didn't set out to do that, but I'm aware of it. Yeah. Can I ask you a couple of really fun, like cheap questions? Of course, I live for those. What on earth was it like opening for Vanilla Ice? I just, I, I'm like dying to know what it was like <laughs> to be on that tour. Cause I think I really like him. I've never met him, but.
2: I never met him either.
0: You didn't? Uh, No. Oh. Um, I
2: I was instructed to not look at anybody. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. um, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, you know, as a a Canadian, I said, okay, no problem. Uh The true answer is it was so fun. I mean, I mean, I I was 15 or 16 and a huge audience, a bigger audience than I'd ever played for. It was just a high. I was completely out of my mind just performing on stage. A lot of dancing, a lot of moving, sweating, huge grin but I did not meet him and I was instructed that if I saw anyone to just not look. And by the way, everyone, you know, people say, Oh, that's so horrifying. No, it's not. If you're the kind of person who gets stared at all day long, you know, and that, that was one of the, my personal experiences too, where I, as a young Canadian, I'm such a people watcher. Like if I could sit on a bench and just watch people all day, that would be the most fun thing in the world. So all of a sudden I was sitting on these very same benches and all the eyeballs, I became the watchhead Yeah. You know, and I was like, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't agree to this. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I got used to it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so Canadian. So when moving to America, I learned a lot of qualities that are maybe sort of typically American that I needed to cultivate in order to be able to survive being watched that much. You know, there's a, there's a confidence and a um, extroversion that I hadn't been exposed to as much in Canada.
0: We interviewed Keith Morrison, my favorite dateline. And he just every fourth sentence was, it just seems so self-indulgent to talk about myself. Right. I'm like, I know, but you're in the interviews and we right. want to talk about you. But yeah. But
2: but that's the thing, culturally, I mean, we're taught to it's almost like anti-narcissism. Like we're taught to have low levels of narcissism. You need some level of healthy narcissism to pick a t-shirt.
0: You know? Yeah. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> so, you got to figure out how you're going to look in it. Yeah.
2: Like how are we, how can I put a record out without some healthy level of narcissism? But what I i did notice when I moved to Los Angeles, the first six months of my having been there, I didn't speak because in Canada, how I did it was it's all dialogical. So I'm not going to speak to something unless you're curious about it. That was what mm. I was unconsciously taught. So when I moved to LA, I'm sitting at all these dinners and all I did was listen for six months. And then I I thought, if I'm going to open my mouth over over my lifetime, and I love moving to America, I said, I I have to learn how to share when it's unsolicited. Sure, that, that for a Canadian is almost an impossibility. Wow. You know, if you weren't so kindly asking questions right now that somehow... I'd have to use that muscle of being able to just share and assume you want to know. In Canada, we assume you don't want to know unless you're asking.
0: Yeah, because the Canadian music, your first two albums were more pop, right?
2: Yeah, they weren't autobiographical. And, and, and a lot of people I was working with during that time, I started to write certain songs or lyrics that didn't rhyme or were a little intense. And the feedback I got really quickly was, no, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. go back to the dance person. <laughs>
0: Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. Okay, when did paying someone back become social media? What do you mean? Well, let's just say I'm a weirdo and I want to be messy and see what you're up to, like who you're hanging with. I can just stalk your pay app and find out what you're doing.
1: I knew you did that.
0: (laughs) No, I did not do that. I don't do that. I use Apple Cash. It's built into your iPhone, easy and secure. You can send and receive money right in messages and keep it between friends and then use that money any place Apple Pay is accepted.
1: Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash?
0: Monica, please keep it in the chat. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. We are supported by Uber Eats. Spring is here, and now you can get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry, no. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. We are supported by BetterHelp. It feels like a lot has happened this year. It's barely even summer. We went to India for buy, George.
1: We sure did. Lots to process already.
0: Yeah. But even with so much going on, it's important to slow down. Take a minute to reflect on yourself and make adjustments. And if you need a little help with that, I can't recommend therapy enough. We are both in therapy. We are. We proselytize all the time.
1: Talk about it every day.
0: Couldn't function without it. If you want to give therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient and flexible. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire. Plus, you can switch therapists whenever for no additional charge. So take a moment for yourself. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DAX today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. Help. dot com slash dax. The other pattern with a lot of y'all singers is like some success and then like bonkers success. Like I don't know, there seems to be a slightly different trajectory from a lot of the bands we all like growing up, where it was like it was a slow burn and then and then I think a really easy pitfall of that is like imposter syndrome right if you go from like oh yeah my first two albums did this and then all of a sudden i sell 33 million albums and i am nominated for grammys and stuff is that isn't there some fear of like oh fuck i got lucky and i'll be exposed and this is a mistake did you experience any of those feelings or were you like no no i wrote this this is my story this makes total sense i i mean i would hope it's the latter but it seems like it's common for people to go like this can't be happening I couldn't possibly deserve this. So something stinks and it'll get exposed.
2: Well, you're also implying, like, even just when you say it's deserve, deserve what? Like, I I don't deserve the isolation. I don't deserve the adulation. I don't deserve, like, for me, there's so many elements to being in the public eye. Some of them are really fun. Like, wow, you just sent me a bunch of products for free. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. And then some of them are really hard and really isolating and devastating, actually, and traumatizing. A lot of people chase fame from a place of trauma wanting to heal it, right? Yeah. And then fame further compounds it and traumatizes you some more. So I never thought I was fooling someone. I just felt really confused all
0: the time. Well, I think that's the preferred outcome. I'm, I'm happy to hear that.
2: And then it became, if the ego part didn't grant what it had purported to be able to give, you know? Joy, tons of friends, hanging out with a million celebrities. I mean, I used to reach out to celebrities going, hi, do you, you,
0: <laughs> you, you want to
2: hang out? And they'd be like, why are you calling me?
0: <laughs> no, I bet they all said yes. They all said yes. No,
2: no. And it still happens. I'll reach out to someone and I'll think, oh, this person wants to be my friend. I'm so excited. And then they, <laughs> yeah. don't, they don't want to be my friend. Or at least they don't want to be the kind of friend that I That you're be.
0: looking for.
2: Yeah. There was this turning point where I thought, well, why would I continue? And that which remained was still this joy of expression. So that's massive for me. So much fun singing. Like I live to sing, I live to write. I live to, you know, whether you call it, obnoxiously call it channeling or whatever the frick the process is, is my favorite, I live for it. So I get to keep doing that. For me, I started noticing that people would say, hey, thanks for validating that or empathizing with that. Or hey, my family member just died and you helped, or you helped me through my divorce. Or then I started going, oh, this could be art, expression, career, and service all squished into one. It's activism. Yeah. So for me, I mean, what we're doing right now, right? There's a heartfulness in, in all, I would say, all three of us wanting to somehow show up for people, right? Why else do yeah. you know? yeah, so, yeah, So that became the, the guiding force for me. And it made it so that I could keep going because if that weren't there, you know, I'd, I'd probably want to be in the public eye for 10 minutes every 10 years.
0: Yeah. So I guess the examples that I'm aware of, and I'm pretty ignorant on music in general, but it seems like Eddie Vedder was like, okay, I don't like that version, but I'm still going to do this. And it seems like he, he he created right an architecture for himself to do it. And then I would say that about Nora Jones as well. It seems like she's like, she's like, okay, that was great. This is is me. Yeah. 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 So like, what decisions did you make that you're like, Uh, here's the version I'm open to doing. Like what were those actual changes or or decisions?
2: Great question. Well, one of them was what I mentioned earlier in Canada when I started writing and kind of deviating from the non-autobiographical stuff and started writing real stories of what was going on. And I was dissuaded to say the least from that. So I left. Before I met Glenn Mallard, who I collaborated with on Jag Little Pill, I remember saying to myself, I will not stop until I'm in an environment where what I have to say is just valued in the room and I remember even writing you ought to know and swearing in it and then I turned to Glenn after as the Canadian that I am and I said well obviously we'll have to change that and he said he said wait wait what do you mean change it did you mean everything you said and I said yeah he said we're not changing it (laughs)
0: yeah
2: and people were upset they were like what do you mean you're perverted you mean you're just sexual and I was like yeah and they said, why do you just say that? And I was like, it doesn't
0: sound as pretty. It's not as fun. It's, yeah. it's not also, as impactful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, it goes back to the thing I was... Maybe hinting that I assume you have, or maybe I'm just projecting. But I had this great duality as a kid. Whereas I was, my mom really believed in me, and thank God she's the sole reason I've done anything in life. She, do, but she believed in me to a degree that I felt was a little cumbersome. I was like, oh, but on the side I'm fucking around. So I just I had a duality, and to me, my perviness is part of that duality. It's like I have a, some kinky fun side of myself that's not for everyone, and it's for me, and I like it. It's positive
2: once again, with the semantics, I mean, for me, perverted was just sort of directly implying having fun with it.
0: Yeah. You know,
2: not being scared. And the truth of the matter is so many of us who, who talk a good game about how wild and crazy we are and how crazy our relationships are sexually. Sometimes there's something going on there. Um, I've had a lot of sexual abuse in my history and and it's not not uncommon to do the to the response of that to be hypersexual. So I went through that for years. And then I think it's only in marriage, talking about the loyalty and the safety and the commitment and everything, where I've been given, you know, without speaking out of school, where I've been given this amazing opportunity to really look, you know. And then there were some years after particularly difficult breakups where I just took a whole full moratorium on all of it. And so some would say that I was sexually anorexic.
0: Right, right. 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 Right.
2: Go between. And that's, you know, there's the addict again.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so even the word reverted is just like, to me, that just implies I'm wild and,
0: and I don't have hangups. We talked to this amazing Dr. Alex.
1: Catahawcus. Catahawcus yes. she, I spoke with her too. I love her. Oh, oh know, yeah. 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 So, you know,
0: she's just the, the best about sex addiction. And yeah. I said to her, and really it was probably a question for myself. I'm like, you know, there's this predictable behavior as a result of trauma and sexual trauma. And I I clearly have some of it. Yeah. I said, but it is what it is. And so I now enjoy it. And should I have to ignore uh, the result of the sexual trauma if it gives me pleasure? And I use different examples. And she goes, no, no. If there's shame and secrecy, then it's bad. Right. And if there's not, it's not. She said, there's a lot of people that have had really severe sexual trauma who desire Recreating that, and that she talked about the dominatrix relationship, and that it's this wonderful way yeah. to live out the fantasy that is just re-injuring your trauma. But you have the control, and all, and she just broke it all down. And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's what it is. Is it is it shame and is it secret or not? Right. And that's everything.
2: I think that's that's really beautifully put."
0: But someone shouldn't be told to not enjoy whatever it is they enjoy just because it's rooted in trauma. I'm like, I think that's crazy, too. Well, that's,
2: I think that's pretty sophisticated. If someone is able to go right back into the belly of the beast and have it in a similar interaction, I mean, whether it's sexuality, whether it's fame, whether it's working with men, you know, there's so many things that can contribute to our traumas. So if we're willing to go back into the, the dungeon or the belly of the beast and go in with a different consciousness and an awareness... And an empowerment, and maybe some boundaries in our back pocket. It could look outwardly like the exact same circumstance, but in inside, it's a whole different experience.
0: Yeah, that, I thought that was such a clear way to evaluate your own behavior. You know?
2: Yeah, and not make any anything right or wrong, except for those. Those are the indicators. I think that's really beautiful.
0: Yeah. How How have you liked acting as compared to singing? I love
2: it, but I haven't. I haven't chased it. You know, I I love it, and it's an honor. I really love doing voiceover, love the sweatpan experience of just becoming a whole other creature. And sometimes when I write songs for movies, in some ways, the narrative of the song becomes its own character, or I'll look at the actors and I'll choose one of them and I'll sing through what I imagine to be their perspective or their lens.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess because you did that at the exact same time you started singing virtually, right? Because you were on my favorite TV show. You can't do that on television. (laughs) I was. So it's probably like, yeah, it's not like you decided, oh, now I'll act. You had already done that. But was it? Um...
2: But the, I mean, some of it was just super practical. To write a song required me and a pen. To create a TV show required 1,500 people. Yeah. So when I was just looking at where am I going to put my energy in my room at 11 years old, you know, and, and being in a TV show with pre existing people already that were on the show for years, you know, being the newcomer is kind of fun a little bit kind of exciting, but it's also really sad and hard. You know, it's kind of like the, when you travel a lot in the military or whatever, you're just going to all these new places and you're the new kid in school all the time. So, so for me, the earlier experiences of acting were, were tougher just because I was the new girl.
0: Oh yeah. I think about that all the time for our guest stars on the show. I'm on, I'm like, oh, these people are walking into this group that's been spent the last two years together.
2: And, and especially, you know, the part of me that's so cameo-ish. It's exactly uh-huh. that. I'm, I'm going to a new school, <laughs> and yeah. sometimes those schools are fun, and sometimes it's like, oh god, the audition process for actors is really vulnerable. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know.
0: Yeah, but
2: I'm just like, I don't, you know, I don't need, I don't. <laughs> this is too stressful for my body. I think that speaks actually to susceptibility of, you know, if someone's particularly sensitive temperamentally, if they're in an environment that is loving, they will actually bloom more so than someone who perhaps isn't as sensitive in that loving environment, if that makes sense. And equally, the opposite is true. If someone who's susceptible and vulnerable is in an environment that's abusive, they'll get more depressed and more suicidal and more more so perhaps than, than the 80% of people who aren't as temperamentally sensitive.
0: Yeah. I read that you have been very public about having different Eating, I don't even know if this is the right words anymore. Eating disorder, do we still call it that?
2: Uh, yeah. Well, disordered thinking, mood disorders.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: I would call it um, food stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, food stuff. <laughs> the good news
2: about the major headway that everyone's made in terms of nutrients and superfoods. You, I don't think you're going to meet anyone with an eating disorder who doesn't know so much information about nutrients and calories and micro minerals and phytochemicals and... You know, and then what happens after a while for me, the more I learned and experimented with it and took the whole dieting thing out of the question, I had a whole different relationship with my body. I was doing still extreme stuff like marathons and I did, I did the New York marathon with H1N1. Like I was just pushing and
1: pushing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like just,
2: you know, there's the addict again, you know. <laughs>
0: It's it's a it, the street name is swine flu, right? Isn't that what H one? I just
2: I just don't like the word swine. I
0: know, I know, it's the grossest <laughs> name ever given to a disease. Uh, swine, moist swine. There's a, few, flu.
2: there's a few words where I'm
0: like, uh, yeah. she came down with moist swine flu. <laughs> Moise, <laughs> moist, moist, moist swine flu panties disorder. Oh. Just <laughs> all the gross words in one. <laughs> <laughs> oh
2: my god! So anytime there's deprivation. I mean, anytime someone said, if someone were to say to me, you can never wear a red t-shirt again, I mean, what am I going to be obsessed with?
0: Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So yeah. It,
2: it eventually Janine Roth helped a lot for me with food. And she shared this really incredible story where a mom was concerned about her daughter's eating disorder. So she spoke with Janine. I think it's in one of her books. So I'm not speaking out of school, but she said, okay, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. What's your daughter's favorite food? And she said, M&M's. So she said, I want you to fill a pillowcase full of M&Ms and just give it to her and tell her she can eat it anytime she wants. So the mom was scared to do this, but she did it because she trusted Janine. The daughter brought the bag to her locker, was with her all the time. She was eating and eating and eating at first, I think, a couple of weeks. I'm making some of this up. Sorry, Janine. Sure. But um, gained some weight. So the mom called Janine back and said, this isn't working. She's gaining weight. And Janine just said, stay the course. So then she kept eating it and then as as might be predictable eventually she was just like Ugh, i can eat this anytime day or night and i got a whole freaking bag full and my mom fills it up anytime it's empty so there's this abundance mindset that created a little bit more freedom and oh. that, that was the turning point for me i mean there's 50,000 tentacles to the recovery of food stuff but that was a big turning point and i called it free eating you know and i also would just add things another tough one is you know the whole Addictive black and white, like I'm eating six whoppers a day. Then I go to like carrot sticks, and you know. So for me, when I'm working or chatting or hanging with friends and we're talking about this, I just go, don't take anything out, just add Uh, a add a smoothie, add some spinach. Right. Uh, Have the five whoppers, whatever you need, just eat whatever you need, and then add. And emotionally, too, like for me. Because I was so overstimulated all the time, that's why I would eat so much food at midnight when it was quiet in the house. I would notice somatically I'd be eating and I'd be taking these deep breaths, you know? And it was like, oh, that's why I wait till the kitchen was empty at two in the morning. It was the first moment I could have to think, you know, because a lot of times with certain temperaments, especially highly sensitive, I could be in the middle of thinking about 52 things. And if my husband or my friend says, hey, sweetie, do you want to eat dinner now? I'll be like, Shh. you know, like someone may not know they're interrupting, they're not interrupting anything because there's silence in the room, but there's so much going on in here that.
0: Right. There's something interesting there because there's also like, as you said, there's so many tentacles and there's so many, like the first umbrella is we all kind of, it seems common knowledge now that it's always just a control thing. But mm-hmm. but beyond that, what you're describing is, I have found that like, yeah, activities that buy you freedom, mm-hmm you can link those in weird ways, right? So if if I find this activity that buys me the freedom I'm looking for, now now the activity, and I'm unaware of it, has this elevated importance, for me, it's taking a dump in the in the morning. Monica'll tell you I'm in there for a fucking hour now. Oh clearly,
1: especially um, at the time when we we're trying to get the kids ready for school, it's <laughs> conveniently at the time.
0: When, yeah. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but yes, uh, taking a dump now has been elevated be uh, above sex because really, it's just the time I get to like look at alone. my phone and f- guilt free and do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, yeah.
2: No, it's the escapes, especially the the more children, the more I'm hiding. Oh very odd places yeah uh, yeah. or at an airport like, mom's going pee a lot yeah <laughs> yeah. Go to the
0: bathroom. yeah i think my wife enjoys like i think my wife enjoys cooking for many reasons but i do think one of them is is like hey i'm busy and there's like hard for her to just I say i'm i don't want to talk to anyone but that's a way to say i don't want to talk to anyone right which she doesn't you know her codependency will allow her to do i
2: mean a lot of good food comes out of that one. Yeah, we're winning. We're winning because <laughs> of it. You're, you're eating well. I <laughs> hope she never gets healthy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have a new album, right?
2: Yes. It's called Such Pretty Forks in the Road.
0: It came out May 1st?
2: It was going to come out May 1st.
0: Okay. But I, okay. I
2: pushed it. As we were approaching May 1st, it just felt like such a tenuous time.
0: Bummer of a time to- And it with.
2: was, yeah, bummer. And I, and I asked a few friends, I said, when we're in the middle of a pandemic and a crisis- personally, I don't need to hear about someone's personal crisis. Mm. So that was my mindset in in having just put a pause button on it. Then I had some friends calling me saying, no, the opposite is true. We want to lose ourselves in your crisis. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to put it out early July.
0: Okay. Cause I was gonna say the second friend might, they might be right because Monica has watched how many times?
1: Oh my God. Nine, like pr- realistically, probably six times I've watched At Contagion. Least.
0: She has watched Contagion <laughs> six times since this all started. That's she the cannot one. Stop, I can't stop watching, watching
1: it. That. I just have it on in the background. People are having seizures and I'm like, yeah. yeah. yeah and how, how does that help? Like it just makes it be over there and not here? I don't know why it helps. Really, I'm just like, oh, yeah, we're all experiencing this. Yeah. There's something that feels like connected about it. To be honest, I don't know why, but it feels good. It, it's working. It's, it's working.
2: Belief. Yeah, no, however you get it, right? <laughs> yeah, Ideally exactly. in a healthy way.
0: And so yeah. you you had a world tour planned. I can only imagine like when you've planned a world tour, what's that pulling the plug finally feel like?
2: I'm still in denial. I mean, first of all, it can't happen. So it's completely outside of my control. No one's going to show up at the shows. And postponement is real. So if I'm freaked out and there have been moments, I had a really good cry the other day. My, my manager called me to talk about what, you know, where we're moving and postponing things. And I, I just couldn't stop crying. Yeah. yeah. I was like, I finally, I finally just started grieving the loss of, you know, well-laid plans as life happens, but it's all very surreal right now. And it just depends when you catch me. Sometimes I'm elated and my, I'm breastfeeding or my kids and I are wrestling and we're jumping and, in the you know, rolling around and I'm so happy. It's so bonded. and. Then 15 minutes later, I'm numb. And then I'm completely terrorized, you know. And then an hour later, it ain't no thing. You know, it's like nothing's happened. So a lot of mood parties. And then as an empath, I feel everybody financially, emotionally. What if you're in a house with someone who's abusing you? What if you're, you know, I just feel into what's going on around the planet and people, you know, lining up for food and frontline peeps and everything. It's just a lot of energy
0: you have to police yourself on how much content you consume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I did. A,
2: I did one day last week where I didn't read any of the bad news. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah, know, it made a difference.
0: This is a never-ending conversation in my household, which is like, my wife's just like you. She's very empathic. She wants to know. And I, I'm always trying to go like, you know, get the exact amount you need to mobilize whatever thing you need to mobilize. Yeah, nice. And then at that moment then stop. You then know, if you good. think you need more motivation but you you seem to be doing everything someone in the public could do cuz yeah. she she loves to be helpful and she yeah. posts a lot of things that are helpful to people and she does a yes. tremendous amount of stuff but I'm like yes. whatever that whatever that critical mass is. I'm only recommending just hit hit critical mass and then and then bail out. I
2: love what you said about one part of you wishing it doesn't end, you know, and I, yeah. I I I don't know. That could be because you're bonding with your family. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love being with my girls. It's the
2: greatest, you know, so part of me is also like, wow, there's a whole new potential value system that's going to open up here. Not only a huge paradigm shift. So it's what's most important to me. What are my priorities? How can I go back to some way of living that I used to do in this whole new context? I think it's pretty exciting in terms of self-definition and defining ourselves as a culture, what our what our values are, what we
0: value. Yeah, what, it's what huge, we care
2: about, you know. So that's yeah, beautiful. Um yeah. I feel badly for people's bodies, you know, it's it's hard on the body to be in chronic cortisol. I mean it's it's basically trauma if you're chronically This is a beautiful new book said I think it's called Anxiety is the the forgotten stage of grief or pardon me for messing that title up, but this anxiety thing of this undercurrent that no matter what we're feeling, if we're feeling angry or if we're in denial or checked out or self-medicated, that there's this undercurrent of terror, <laughs> you know? So it's really hard on the body to keep that cortisol cooking. And they've done studies where when your cortisol is super jacked in the red for long enough, it actually collapses. So sometimes I've done stress tests to figure out like, how's this body doing? Are we gonna, how, How's our longevity plan going? And, um, and basically a lot of the results came back with my cortisol low. And I did some studying, and it basically is that your 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 hormone levels collapse.
0: They fatigue. Yes. Yeah, so I, I similarly had a really comprehensive blood test. And he goes, uh, wow, I've never seen an adrenal gland production this low outside of a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I think that is a huge compliment.
2: <laughs>
0: I mean, you're so you're so trauma resilient,
2: dude. <laughs> my ego, gets proud about anything these days, it's that I'm still alive and that I have some resilience and that I'm still here. I can still laugh, you know?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: I I was talking with Gabor Mate a few months ago and it was on my podcast and he said, do you ever think you'll not go to therapy? And I said, no, I think I'll go to therapy for the rest of my life. Like I don't see an end, I don't see an end to this. And he really vehemently disagreed with me. Oh, really? He said, he goes, at some point, I think you're going to be good to go.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in
2: his own way but what about you
0: i i've been saying it a lot lately where it's like okay i understand what happened i understand the results of it i'm approaching having processed all that stuff and it's time for me to just write whatever fucking story i want to read about myself you know
2: yeah i do
0: and it's probably just my own ego worrying that people are just getting exhausted with my self exploration and my endless interest in other people's well, don't forget <laughs>
2: residents. Only people who live to go inside and have that degree of interiority are going to be listening because you're doing it. So
1: don't worry about yeah. that. You can, okay,
0: you can okay, okay, you can, okay. You can, you can keep going. <laughs> okay, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll add. You can also have self exploration without sharing it.
0: Wait, why would you do that?
1: Direct communication.
0: That's a note for me and our friend Jess. I'm
1: just saying, (laughs) no, if the choices don't self-explore because people are sick of it or no, there's some in-between things in there. You can keep exploring. You're
0: dead right. But I guess I'm more mean also, shouldn't I be bored of it by this point? Like I I have some voice in my head. That's that's what television's for. That's what
2: (laughs) even with our careers it's almost like this forced self-absorption and even that the Canadian he was like it's also self-indulgent I'm like yes it is self-indulgent and I get so sick of my own image my own face I get sick of the mirror
0: uh-huh
2: I noticed when we when we were at home but I hadn't looked in a mirror in a long time and I was like that's liberating too I don't want to tie to my name even people say my name sometimes and I have PTSD I'm just like
0: Ugh. Uh, yeah. I was saying to my wife, do you think if I started an island, like I bought an island and I started a colony and there were no mirrors or reflective surfaces allowed on the island if it would attract people? And then we we're like, well, island's problematic because you can see your reflection in the, the, the water. But anyways, I was just thinking like, what would it be to have no concept of what you look like at a certain point? I mean, it would probably take years, but I have to imagine I there'd be something good on the other side of that.
2: Oh, <laughs> right? I, yeah, that, that, that's my bliss. I mean, I you know don't get me wrong. I love grooming. I live to yeah. groom. A- but I, I, I love not looking in a mirror. And there's certain hotel rooms on tour that are mirror centric. Like you can't turn without seeing your mug. And it's like, oh, I, I cover some of them up. And then there are other hotel rooms where there's no mirrors. And I can feel a, a difference.
0: Oh, what prompted me to even think about that is we don't have one in the yeah. attic where we normally record. Yeah. And occasionally, like before I guests I get there, I want to glance and see if I have a booger hanging out or my right. hair's all yeah. fucked up. And yeah. I just can't. And then I stop thinking about it.
2: I noticed with my kids, I like put mirrors up all on the wall and they do the, you know, I did it as a kid too. Oh, like yeah. Dancing and the.
0: Oh, my kids will watch themselves cry. And I'm so embarrassed for oh. me and them because I've done it. Like enjoying watching yourself <laughs> cry. It's like, how narcissistic could you possibly <laughs> be? Like, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so sad. Look at me. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my we're, God. we're repugnant as a species. <laughs> but also,
2: also freaking precious. Louise Hayes talked about the mirror work of all the inner work things, you know, there's 80% of it, I'm like, yeah, I'm down for it. And 20% where I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, but I'll skip that exercise. Because I was talking about doing mirror work. So mirror work is the thing that I'm playing with. It's so simple and so terrifying <laughs> to just look in the eyeballs of this person who's been carrying you around this whole time. All those experiences, PTSD or joy or bliss or marriage and chill. I mean, it's, it's that body. This is the person that was in Spain. This is the person that was in pain
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Alanis, it's so fun talking to you. too.
2: Thank you July what? I don't know the exact date, but early July is what the APB came back. Three songs already came out, though. The Reasons I Drink was the first one. And then Smiling came out. Smiling is also in the Broadway musical, so it's kind of
0: a... Oh, that's cool.
2: And then Diagnosis we just put out because that one was... It just felt apropos in some ways.
0: So do you ever like just get a concept of like, oh, I want to do an album? Because I just will think like, oh, I want to see a movie about blank, right? And then I'm off oh, to the did? races thinking. Yeah, I'm constantly like, oh, I want to see a movie where that happens. Oh, wow. Do albums work that way ever for you or no? No. No. Okay. And so
2: of all the ideas you have, do you get ideas all the time, four in the morning all the time, and then you execute 1% of them? Or what, how do you do it? Because I have so many freaking ideas every oh. day that i that they're just like and i'm writing them all down and any, you know which one do you pick
0: if there's any aspect of my identity i had pride in it was that i was a writer nice. and 3 years ago almost 3 years ago two and change i quit writing for the first time in 20 some years and i fucking love it like i don't have homework I just felt like I lived with homework always were oh, on vacation I, I had a draft due and I was well, trying to break a third act and I just, it was so consuming and, and I didn't think it's something I could ever let go of my identity. But at any rate, I have no plan on executing any of them, but the, the gear is still very engaged still there. thinking of ideas. I just, I don't then go, oh, I need to execute this.
2: Universal law of, you know, if you don't have that homework feeling, like I used to have that with my record when I met my husband. He had this unfettered, clean, exciting relationship with writing songs, and he would just be like, "Hey babe, I can't come over. I'm going to write another song." And I'm just like, "Wow, he loves it." Whereas I was encumbered by it, you know. I was like, "Oh God." And I remember after *Jagged Little Pill*, I went to Canada to work with someone to start writing the follow-up sophomore record. And so I said to him, "Dear friend," and I said, "I don't, I don't want to write. I don't want to write another record. I don't want to do any of this." And he said, "Okay, let's go see a movie." And we went to see a movie. I don't remember which one it was, but when we got back, I wrote two songs. Yeah, huh be- Because I didn't have to. That homework feeling is so oppressive and not inspiring.
0: Yeah. My trick is the foot massage parlor. Like, when I couldn't crack something, I'd be like, I'm gonna just going to go get a foot massage. And invariably, like, 40 minutes into a foot massage, I'm like, oh, I know what I want to do with that. That's awesome. Well, again... What a blast to talk to you. I really hope we do it again.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Well, I wish you and your four family members well. And I hope that, uh, I hope it's the exact amount of time you want.
2: Thank you. And the same to you and say hi to everybody. And I love you guys and Godspeed. And you're doing such really generous work with so many people. Thank you. Well,
0: thank Thank you. Thank
2: you. Bye.
0: Stay tuned for more Armchair Expert, if you dare. We are supported by Viator. Now, Monica, I'm going to Lisbon. Uh, so
1: exciting. And I'm
0: going to use Viator because, you know, I can book a tuk-tuk tour of the city on Viator.
1: Yeah, I feel like you can look up even other fun things you guys can do together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That is where you go to find an experience while you're traveling. Because no matter where you're traveling or what you're interested in, Viator can help you plan better travel experiences. With over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, it means you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Enjoy real travel reviews to get inside information from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. Plus, Viator offers 24-7 customer service so you know you'll get the support at any hour if things aren't going as planned. Download the Viator app now and use code VIATOR10 for 10% off your first booking. Find travel experiences for you and do more with Viator. We are supported by Myrtle Beach, South Carolina.
1: Mm. Myrtle Beach, I have so much nostalgia.
0: Me too. I did a spring break in Myrtle Beach. Yes. Did you guys used to go there from Georgia?
1: Yeah. It Mm. was a very common beach destination.
0: Long sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline to enjoy. The beach truly is where your best self comes out. Combine that with the irresistible aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low-country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants, and you've got yourself the perfect vacation. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. That's visitmyrtlebeach.com. We are supported by Wayfair. It's exciting when you get your own place or even just a new space because you get to decorate it however you want. I think we forget that decorating our homes can be a form of self-expression.
1: I don't forget. I love it. You've never forgotten. <laughs>
0: but if you're struggling to find the right pieces, I recommend checking out Wayfair. They'll help you create a space that's all you, with sofas, chairs, dining tables, wall decor, and more, whatever you need.
1: I'm helping a friend redecorate, mm-hmm. and it's so fun and we just spent a ton of time on Wayfair picking out a beautiful couch.
0: Oh boy, I kind of need to peruse there to stock the downstairs. They have- of
1: everything it's really great
0: it's time to make your dream space a reality every style is welcome in the waiver hood. visit wayfair.com or get the wayfair mobile app that's w-a-y-f-a-i-r.com wayfair every style every home and now my favorite part of the show the fact check with my soulmate monica padman in real life, you and I were just about to have a conversation, and then I thought, ooh, let's do it on the podcast on instead, which was we interviewed somebody that'll be coming up, and the person was objectively three times smarter than Monica and I. Combined. Uh, combined, <laughs> yes. It's, this gentleman had the most comprehensive knowledge of our history, He's economics. an economist
1: by trade.
0: He's further left than Monica and and much more left than I am. Mm -hmm. And we both had this moment, we were just discovering that we were both like, how could he be that smart and not be right?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yep. Well, also because, especially for me, some of the things he was saying, like, ideally, I want.
0: Uh Uh-huh. And specific that came up that he was talking about is Scandinavia's middle way It's a mix between capitalism and socialism. They've been doing it for decades and, you know, they win every single happiest person alive.
1: Yeah. We'll get into it much deeper on his fact which will come up soon.
0: We both left with a little bit of like a hangover, right? Where we were kind of like, man, we need to think more about this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm not a bernie supporter
0: yeah nor i
1: and i think a lot of what he says is extreme i don't see how we could possibly pay for all of these things all at once but like you said when we were talking to the economist who is a bernie advisor who had literally advised bernie on his economic plan yeah yeah i thought oh well there must be a way Because it's never being said in the debates, which is infuriating.
0: It is. It's like they keep
1: asking and then he's never saying. Yes. But when we talked to Jeff, who is the economist, I'm like, no, there's there's probably many things we just aren't privy to that work.
0: Well, after talking to him, there's no way that he's not responsible enough to have done the math.
1: Exactly, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. thing. But,
0: but Bernie certainly did not convince me that he had done the math. No,
1: oh. it's hard. Okay, Alanis. So you talked about Dr. Alex, and you said hypersexuality and that kind of thing has was born out of maybe some sexual trauma. Yeah, some sexual trauma, some negative stuff. But that ultimately becomes what party, you like, part of you, and it's and it's bad. Dr. Alex was saying if there's shame, only if there's shame. I I just have to add like for her. The biggest component is that the person has to acknowledge, like, I like this because of that. Right, right. So, without that connection, you can't not have shame.
0: Right. You know, like, there's just right.
1: always going to be this underlying uh, layer to it. So, the first part is like putting those puzzle pieces together. And then, like, yeah, if you still enjoy it and you don't have shame and you're in control, right, of it,
0: right, right, right. You're not a victim.
1: Exactly, because you can't really have control over it if you haven't acknowledged it, you know?
0: Right, if the tail's wagging the dog.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, she was talking about eating disorders and how she told this story about Janine Roth told a woman to give her daughter a pillowcase of M&M's. Uh-huh. But she was saying she thought she was messing up the story a little bit, so I have it, so I'm oh, going to read Oh, okay, it. great. Years ago, a woman named Oana attended one of my workshops with her 11-year-old daughter, Miranda. At the time we met, Miranda was what my own mother used to call me pudgy. Round cheeks, round knees, round hands. A body that looked like it was made of circles.
0: You will love that. That's my favorite. <laughs> a circle person?
1: <laughs> Miranda was not fat, but her mother was very worried. She watched over Miranda's meals, commented on what she ate, took desserts away. Awana had been a fat child, had struggled with weight most of her life, and didn't want to see her daughter suffer the same way. All in all, it was your basic mother-daughter war. Miranda hid food from Owana. Awana was enraged that despite her hypervigilance, her child was get- gaining weight. My solution floored them both. I spoke bluntly to Awana, Fill up a pillowcase with M and M's. Give it to Miranda, and whenever it gets even a quarter empty, fill it back up again.
0: Can I pause you for one second? Yes. I want you to really imagine how humongous a pillowcase is, and how many fucking bags of M and M's you'd have to put in there to it's fill it true. up. It's a Thousand things probably. Well, what
1: if she buys the fun size? So she has to rip open each of those There's tiny bags. There's still gonna be
0: a hundred. Oh, fun size. I <laughs> thought you were talking about like the family size no, or whatever. No, fun size
1: is small. Oh
0: yes, that's a Halloween portion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but even if it was. The big-ass one, it would be a 100 of them.
1: I know. That's
0: an expensive lesson they learned. (laughs) It
1: is. Fill up a pillowcase with M&Ms, give it to Miranda, and whenever it gets even a quarter empty, fill it back up again. Stop commenting on her body, end the war now. Come back to me in a month and tell me how it's going. Miranda thought she had died and gone to candy-coated heaven. Awana just wanted to strangle me. A month later, Awana was convinced that miracles did happen. During the first week, Miranda took the pillowcase everywhere. She even slept with it. (laughs) For the first time, she could eat what she wanted without feeling rejected by her mother. During the second week, she stopped taking the pillowcase to school. She ate fewer M&Ms. In week three, she hardly touched them. By week four, she never wanted to see another M&M again.
0: Okay, I'm going to pause one more time. Okay. Imagine being the teacher of Moana. Oh, my God. What's her name? uh, Miranda, Oh, Miranda, I said Moana. Uh, you're Miranda's teacher, and you have no idea what's happening at home. You just know one of your students shows up with a pillowcase full of evidence. by the way to I'm gonna constantly? add this some of this story doesn't make sense to me because I also I think I might do this as a follow-up fact check. I think I might fill one up because it's got to be forty five
1: pounds.
0: there's another like there's a weight issue.
1: like think about I used to take pillowcases for Halloween, mm-hmm. did you mm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even when I got a ton of candy, it was like...
0: Oh, a third full. If. Our goal, and my brother and I sprinted from the second the lights went on. We yeah. sprinted through our neighborhood, and we ran as fast as we could for three hours, and we could fill about two-thirds of a pillowcase. <laughs> wow, and that was with that like is like a, a lot. concerted effort. We had a map of how we would run through the streets so we never overlapped. Wow. I mean, it was it was, it was complex.
1: <laughs>
0: what if also part of her plan, the therapist was like... Listen, this bag is 50 pounds. She's (laughs) going to burn so many calories carrying this thing around that it's going to be a net
1: loss. (laughs) It's funny. Okay, by week four, she never wanted to see another M&M again. But more important than M&M's was that the war had stopped. Miranda no longer needed to eat to pay her mother back for constant disapproval. She no longer needed the comfort of M&M's to make up for the hurt of her mother's rejection.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, it's deep. So much of therapy, I think, right, is just them identifying cyclical patterns. Yes. And you're just trying to interrupt that pattern. Yeah. No matter what will interrupt it, it might be worth it. Yeah. That's a fun experiment to do. Should I do this with you and cookies?
1: (gasps) I already eat as many cookies as I want. (laughs) (laughs) I love cookies. I was just thinking the other day, what's my favorite cookie in the world? Oh, Obviously, I love an Oreo classic. Very classic. But I think my favorite cookie is this chocolate chip cookie from Levain Bakery in New York. Oh. It's massive and so
0: good. Is it damp? Is it moist inside?
1: It's, yeah, but the outside's hard. Yeah, that's the magic. But it's It's kind of a muffin shape.
0: Crispy on the outside, moist on the inside. That's the dream of everything. Chicken wing. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, Oh, true, true. Yeah.
0: Oh, one thing I just want to say is I think... If parents are crazy honest with themselves, or at least I've had this experience where, you know, I think I you know the story already, but I took Lincoln on a press tour with me, just her and I, to Miami. And she was getting too much attention from adults because anyone who would be around me would want to give her a bunch of yeah, attention. Totally. And she was talking in baby talk. And so she would respond to all these people in baby talk. And I was like, at first, this is what I was telling myself, like. Uh, Lincoln, you got to communicate with adults in normal language and blah, 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 blah. I'm almost telling myself what this woman was saying. Like, I've been down this road and I'm trying to save her from it. Yeah. But I did this a few times and then I just had this moment of clarity where I was like, I'm not doing anything to help her. I'm embarrassed that my child speaks baby talk. Yeah. This is my embarrassment. She feels fine speaking baby talk. And those people may think it's annoying and she's dumb. But that's on her. Yeah. It's not on me. Yeah. But it was all my own ego of like, I don't want people to think I have a three-year-old that talks baby talk.
1: Right, right, And right. then I just
0: shut up about it. And I was like, no, oh, this works for you. You feel more comfortable. And doing- then
1: she doesn't speak in baby talk now.
0: She doesn't. But I think I lie to myself as a parent saying, oh, I want to protect him from this discomfort. But it's way more about your own ego. of Everything's a failure as you as a parent. As soon as you have a kid, your your greatest fear is that you're going to fuck it all up. Yeah. And you're almost like protecting your image abroad. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, she said there's a book she thinks is called Anxiety is the Forgotten Stage of Grief. It's called Anxiety, the Missing Stage of Grief, hmm. a revolutionary approach to understanding and healing the impact of loss. It's by Claire
0: Bidwell-Smith. Oh, Mrs. Bidwell-Smith.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, and real quick, so um, I thought it was so interesting when she was talking about Canadians don't talk about themselves.
0: Oh, right, 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 and as we saw with Keith Morrison.
1: Then I I looked up some things that are like so American that they don't have in other countries. Oh, okay. Okay, and here's some. Oh, good. Non-Americans don't understand fake cheese, so like squeeze cheese. That seems obvious. I don't see why other people would understand that. That's a very odd thing to have, squeezy, cheesy.
0: Oh, so we we understand squeezy cheese. Yeah, yeah. Okay. These In are the rest things of the world that we know.
1: That are inherently American. Okay, okay. That other people are like, huh? Because to her, everyone was like talking about themselves, and she was like, what? Like she couldn't wrap her head around.
0: Yeah, self-promotion, self-indulgence. <laughs> yeah. This show. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Twenty percent tip in the United States, not customary other places. Tourists visiting the US notice large gaps in the bathroom stalls between the door and the frame.
0: That is true. Yeah. It's enormous. I often put a piece of toilet paper I hang it between that gap. You do? Yeah. If I'm gonna masturbate in there.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. At a restaurant? Have you ever
0: masturbate at a restaurant? Yeah. I'm pretty sure (laughs) from the ages. You know, 12 to 35, I probably masturbated everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Even at a My favorite was tracking Aaron Weekly's masturbation because he would be all over the city with it. He wow. it. There was this really janky restaurant, Caboodles. What a <laughs> name. At, at the end of our industrial complex street where we worked in the car industry. And he used to pop into Caboodles to go to the bathroom and just have, <laughs> a, have a pull. Oh, never wow. ate it. yeah. Never ate at Caboodles, but it'd be like oh, midday boy. and he didn't know where to go. And you just pop into caboodles. And I was like, God bless you. Give it a jerk? Yeah. Wow. A little tug and carry on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. True. (laughs) Okay. Yellow school buses aren't found outside the U.S. Oh. Yeah. This is interesting. That's
0: a shocker. I didn't know that one.
1: The U.S. is home to extremely long highways, the likes of which are not easily found elsewhere. Five out of ten of the world's ten longest highways are located in the U.S., um, okay, garbage disposals are common in the US but not in other places.
0: That sounds very American yeah Just throw your trash in the <laughs> sink
1: <laughs> yeah okay grape flavored skittles can't be found everywhere Oh
0: okay
1: in Europe the purple skittles are black currant flavored. yuck I think I like black
0: currant no yeah. thanks
1: That's pretty much it that's
0: it. What feelings were you having? I, I was I was like going back and forth on this. We we're watching the Lance Armstrong documentary, which is phenomenal, mm-hmm. and uh, they're going through how the traditionally how the winning teams behave, like the different cultural characteristics. Yeah, and how like the Spanish are very humble. You know, the Germans were this. The Italians, which was fun, is that they're very outrageous. Uh, yeah, out, outrageous. And then they show the Americans, and we're just like, you know, we're as belligerent as it gets, basically. Yeah. And I was like, oh, God, we're so belligerent. <laughs> and I was like feeling kind of shame about that. But then I kind of like I swang back and I was like, well, do you need that to invent the microprocessor? Do you need that to invent? So it's, it's all interesting, it's isn't it? It's like there's, there's upsides and downsides. There's a gross side of it all. Spray cheese probably is not <laughs> our, our crowning achievement. But, you know. I used to love it. It's interesting. Well, yeah. Everything's like got at some.
1: Yeah, pros and cons. Pros and cons. For sure.
0: Yeah. What price do you. Put on innovation, I guess, because that's that's. But really other the, places
1: have innovation.
0: Yeah, but no one really compares pound for pound innovation with America. And part of it is our like individualist, right? Yeah. Everyone, everyone wants to be a superstar and a bazillionaire, and the, the drive to do it is so incredible. Yeah. Like even Jordan, if Jordan wasn't ever going to get any recognition for all that.
1: Oh, Michael Jordan! I thought you meant yeah. Jordan the country.
0: Oh, um, I'm not sure what they do as far as celebrating their victories. Uh, But yeah, Michael Jordan, you wonder if he was going to get no recognition for all that insanely hard work and focus and like 20 hours a day dedicated to basketball without recognition. Does he do it? Yeah, I don't know. If it was truly shared in like in some of the Asian countries that uh, it's way more about the group, knowing that on the other side of all that was going to be the mantle of greatest player of all time.
1: Right. I think. Yeah
0: that's when you don't want to go to the gym and you don't and your knees hurt and you don't want to play that fourth quarter all those things i think part of why he does it is that
1: it is so american though it's so true like even on team sports like i was thinking what is the most team and then like synchronized swimming so you need to be identical you can't be
0: a standout you can't or you're be a standout
1: out. but they probably still point out people who are a little bit better than the other or like have been doing it for way longer like americans yeah do that
0: i kind of think though part of it's that bloom empathy thing though it's like it's easier to identify with the notion of one person well you
1: think you could be michael jordan
0: well, again, yeah, how many kids' fantasy was to be Michael Jordan versus yeah. how many kids' fantasy was to be on the Bulls? That's yeah. probably one billionth as many people were like, I'm going to play for the Bulls when I grow up. I want to be true. Michael Jordan. That's true.
1: Well, that's all. All
0: right. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Thank you for do, your due diligence.
1: Mm, always. Always.